So it's true. We kind of entered into a move of God over the weekend. And uh, me and Brandy, one thing that we kept talking about is how little it had to do with anybody's giftings. Um, you know, God does give gifts and they're intended to build up the body and stuff. And there's teachers and there's worship leaders and there's, you know, the fivefold ministry and all that stuff. But it was pretty evident that um, the reason that we entered into the presence of God and we met him and that it was so powerful wasn't because of anything that was happening up here. It was because of what was happening down here. It was because of the prayer and the, the personal engagement of connecting with Jesus. And it was because of um, building with prayer way in advance. And I think one of the real heroes of this uh, successful conference was Keith Carroll, who just nonstop prayed like crazy, like amazing prayer services all by himself all week leading up to this. And then he would join in with others and just catch the place on fire. So prayer, prayer, personal engagement, guys, this is available. And, and uh, just like we're saying is it's not about the conference. It's not about the teachers or the worship leaders. It's not even about being in this building. Um, if we have that mindset, we are totally limiting what God wants to do. Um, that the end of the conference wasn't the end of some cool encounters with God. It was the beginning. It was like the kickstart. Um, you guys just got, uh, you know, the cables hooked up and the cars cranked and you guys got jumped. Jumped for Jesus? That sounds cheesy. But now just keep going for it. Experience the stuff out in the real world. Today we're going to be talking about birthing a move of God. This uh, message was given to me. The Lord actually gave me the outline for this in March of 2020. I know that was a weird time. Were we in, were we in lockdown yet at that point? I don't know, but that's, that's when he gave it to me. But I didn't feel, I never felt the urging to share the message. I mean, I shared it with some of my friends once, a few months later, but it wasn't until a couple weeks ago that I felt the urging to share this now. Um, now I'm just a uneducated human, and I could totally screw up even the things that God wants to share. So I'm going to pray about that right now. Lord, I, I pray that you would be the one who speaks today um, as uneloquent as my words may be. Even if I make some error, Lord, Holy Spirit, you make no error. And I pray that you would speak to hearts in Jesus' name, and that all of us, including me, would receive your word today from your holy scriptures in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're talking about birthing a move of God, and what do we mean by move of God? I'm going to give two examples. Um, one is in the Old Testament, and all of Israel had basically became, become a secular society. Uh, not really. They actually had a lot of false worship. So there was worship going on, but it was false. So I want to call that secular. Um, just wicked. Um, but they're just going about their lives, and then this King Josiah has some people cleaning out uh, an area, and they find the scriptures. They find the, the law of the Lord, and they, they bring it to the king, and the king reads it, and it, you can find it in 2 Kings 22 and 23, two amazing chapters, and this is what we're talking about, about a move of God. In this particular move of God, this king reads the word of God, and he is totally wrecked. 
Um, 2 Kings 22.11 says, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He repented. Uh, he sought reform. He sought relationship with the Lord. And not just for himself. He had the authority as king to bring huge reformations in the nations politically, the way work is done, the way worship's done. Um, he went out and, I mean, we're talking about historical monuments he was tearing down because they were... Um, used for false worship. And he's like, listen, people, we are getting aligned with God. And this book of the law is actually the law of Israel, of our nation. We were founded on this law of the Lord. And there was this huge reform. The, the leaders of the community all heard the word. The entire people, all the people, they came together. They heard the word of the Lord. And there was humongous, amazing reformation. They brought back the celebration of the Passover, which no other king before him did. So long before Israel had kings, they were celebrating Passover, and, and over time, the Passover stopped being celebrated, and the nation become, became more secular, and uh, not even King David reinstituted the Passover. Can you believe that? And David is a man after God's own heart. But this guy, Josiah, he got the word of God, and he did all this stuff, and he reinstituted the Passover, and um, there's this huge move. The entire nation was changed. So that's, that's one example. Um, here's another example uh, from Acts, Acts 2.42. This is just available, this sort of thing. This is a move of God that we're talking about, that we want to birth a move of God. God wants to birth a move of God. Here we go. All the believers, all the believers in this area, devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Are we devoted to prayer? I want to be devoted to prayer. I'm actually getting really hungry for it now, now that I saw what's available. You know, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you can just go in and religiously pray. But when you, when you start to taste and see the goodness of the Lord, then you want more. You want to pray more. And they were devoted to prayer. It wasn't just like, yeah, we pray sometimes. They were devoted to it. So here's what happened. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. That would be fun to see. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in their homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of people. Now, this is an interesting line because so often we can find people so annoying. <laughs> but when you get revival and you let God transform your heart, you begin to enjoy people. So this is what was happening. This is probably one of the biggest examples of revival is they were enjoying each other. Um, uh, and each day... The Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Hundreds of people are getting saved in this time period. Thousands of people. 3,000 the first day. It's really extraordinary. Um, so this is a move of God. And, and when it says that they sold all their possessions, it wasn't a religious thing. God doesn't want you to go out and just sell all your stuff because you saw that in this story and like give it to poor people. What does that matter if your heart is still hard or if you're if you're grumpy when you're doing it that's not what it's about what was happening God didn't even we don't even have an indication from scriptures that God told them to do that what was happening is they were so 
in love with God and so in love with people because of the love of God in them overflowing, they couldn't help themselves. They were filled with so much compassion that when they saw a need, they took care of it at any cost to themselves. That's what was going on. It was personal. It wasn't religious. And this is available. So here's two examples from Scripture, and there are many, and there are many throughout history of moves of God. It's whenever God does something big. He starts an evangelistic movement, a healing movement, a, a whatever. He's just, he's at work. He's bringing his will about through partnership with people. This is a move of God that he wants to birth through us. So why do I use the word birthing? Birthing a move of God. And that comes from this verse, Isaiah 66, 9, which says, Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth, or shall I who causes to bring forth shut the womb, says the Lord your God? So the point is, and I'll tell you, specifically what he's referring to in this moment, but it's still the character of God. God is saying, I'm the one who's bringing you to a place of birth. And maybe you are pregnant with expectations. Maybe you feel like something's happening. Things are moving. You're seeing the signs of uh, something big is about to happen. You know, you look like you're nine months pregnant, ready to blow. You could feel it. Um, I think women know when they're about ready to blow with a kid. Uh, it's like God saying, I'm the one that brought it about. Shall I bring you to the point of birth and not bring forth? He's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to do this thing. Like, we're going to do this. Um, so specifically what God is talking about here, and this is exciting. He's talking about 1948. Did you know that there are promises in the Bible that were fulfilled as recently as our parents' and grandparents' lifetime. So this comes from Isaiah 66, and there's a prophecy about God restoring Israel in a day, which happened in 1948. And um, now think about this, especially this line, shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? There are hundreds of prophecies in the scripture about the role of Israel in end times, but then Israel got destroyed in 19, or in uh, AD 70, right? Something like that. And it didn't exist for 2,000 years. So for 2,000 years, people would read the Bible and they'd see these hundreds of prophecies about Israel in the end times. And they're like, well, it must be metaphoric because Israel doesn't exist. And so all sorts of weird end times theologies got created and stuff because they're like, well, maybe he meant that and maybe Israel is us and all this stuff, right? But then, guess what happens? 1948, God says, shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? He's like, I have all these promises and I'm gonna bring them forth. Bam, 1948, here it comes. A nation is born in a day. It was fulfilled. Yeah. It's, it's extraordinary. But we, I'm looking at the character of God. This is what he says to you. Shall I bring to the point of birth? and not cause to bring forth. He's gonna do the thing that he wants to do. When you get saved, Jesus uses the word born again when he's talking to Nicodemus, I believe. Um, you are a move of God that is birthed when you get saved. The day you get saved, you're a move of God. You could be against Jesus right this very moment, sitting in your chair, not saved, maybe uh, an atheist, or whatever, and then you get saved, 
right now or later today or tomorrow, whatever, you get saved, all of a sudden, the move of God is birthed in this world and transformation is coming through the Holy Spirit immediately. So what is the big deal about birthing a move of God? Is it because we really like the warm, fuzzy feelings? Um, or is it because we really like the spectacle of miracles? Um, that's not the purpose. See, these are some benefits that some people experience. Uh, it's just kind of a, a natural outcome. You get miracles, signs, and wonders, and some people feel the, the warm, fuzzy feelings and stuff. I actually don't usually get that very often, almost never. But regardless, it's not about that. That's just a side effect. It's about what happens personally between you and Jesus, between people out there and Jesus. It's about lives being transformed. It's about people stepping into the meaning of life, which is Jesus. Jesus is the meaning of life. And so many of us, like every human in the world, struggles with the purpose of their the meaning for their lives. And some people give up because they're like, I don't, there is no meaning for me. And then they off themselves. It's a horrible tragedy. But this is why we want the move of God to be birthed, to reconcile people to the meaning of life, to Jesus. But God needs laborers. He's ready to birth something, but he needs laborers, those who are willing to push. And uh, Matthew 9, 37-38 uses the same word a little differently, but if you think about it, it's the same concept, but with a different analogy. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Laborers. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful. You know, harvest is a good thing. Sometimes we look at the people of the world, us religious people call them the people of the world, and we're like, dirty, oh. But no, 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 the harvest is a good thing. It's something you're excited about, you wanna bring in and gather. The harvest, and uh, look, before he says, the harvest is plentiful, he doesn't say, so go out and bring it in. The first thing he says is, therefore, pray earnestly. Everything starts with prayer in the kingdom of God. Everything starts with prayer. So pray earnestly to the Lord for those who would labor, those who are going to push to press. Um, so what we're going to do to address this is I'm going to use stories from the scripture as uh, object lessons of natural births that God brought about supernaturally. And we're gonna specifically look at births of people who were chosen by God to bring a move of God. A little convoluted, but I'm convoluted. Um, anyway, you're gonna see what I'm talking about. Um, so I'm gonna start by talking about the things that don't matter when it comes to birthing a move of God. Age doesn't matter. Age doesn't matter. A lot of people did their, they paid their dues, they did the hard work, and now they say, I'm done. And that, or you just feel like you're not able to continue because you're, you're too old or whatever. But no, God says age doesn't matter. So Abraham in the scripture was already old when God first promised him he was going to have a child. And then it was many, many, many years later 
and some angels come to visit to remind him of this promise. So now he's extra old. And so here it is, Genesis 18, 9 through 14. They say to him, where is Sarah your... Oh, yeah, they said to him. So this is the angels speaking on behalf of the Lord to Abraham. Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Funny wording. Um, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure, meaning having the pleasure of having kids? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Here we go. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Don't laugh at the idea that God can use you to birth a move of the Lord. And even if you do, oh, this is not in my notes. So Sarah, she laughs again later on when she actually has a baby. A year later, she laughs in celebration, in rejoicing. She's like, how silly was I to think that God couldn't do this? And she laughs with pleasure that God did what he said he would do. Another example of uh, uh, somebody thinking they're too old, and I think I'm going to skip most of this, get down towards the end. It comes from Luke 1, and you can read about it 8 through 17. I'm going to go a little more than halfway down. It's the story of Zechariah. Um, this is like a few years or months or some, sometime before Jesus was born. And uh, Zechariah is a priest, and he's going into the temple. Um, by the way, let me show you what's happening at this temple. Um, where is it? And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So in the temple, they got these incense burners, and it represents prayer. And meanwhile, outside, people are actually praying. The whole multitude, they're all praying. Again, everything starts with prayer, right? So Zechariah, he gets chosen. He goes into the temple, and uh, the word of the Lord, and an angel of the Lord comes, and he speaks to him uh, about having a child of God, even though he's super old, right? And here's something he says about the move of God that's going to happen through this child. Uh, he says, and he will, listen to this move of God. I want this move of God for here. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Holy cow. That ain't nothing going to prove the existence of God than um, like rebellious teenagers like turning to their fathers and being like, I love you. Father, and, and like, holy cow, that's amazing. Um, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, some like hardcore rebel being like, ah, forget these ways. Um, hey, wise and just people, show me your ways. Uh, to make ready uh, a people prepared for the Lord to come. So this is a move of God that God promised was going to come through old man Zechariah. And, and here's the deal. If my people, this is, you guys know it. I think we use this verse every week, every time we meet almost. 
2 uh, Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will restore their land. So, he says, my people, are you still my people after you hit retirement age? Joel 2 promises that the old men will dream dreams, prophetic dreams. Do you want that? Just accept it. Just take it. Get out of this mindset that you're too old. Age doesn't matter, but also experience doesn't matter. Maybe you think that I haven't experienced this stuff. I didn't go to Bible college. I'm not an ordained minister. I, uh, I don't have a, a history. A, I don't have a bunch of stories behind me of uh, amazing encounters with God. In fact, I got nothing at all. Well, perhaps you've heard the story of the Virgin Mary. I believe, if I remember biology correctly, that in order to birth a child, you need to have a certain experience. And Mary didn't have experience. She was a virgin. No experience required. And God says... So here we go. Uh, you can read about it in Luke 1, 26 to 35. I'm going to jump down towards the end again. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her. And this is your answer. You got no stories. Maybe you're getting saved today or you got saved a month ago and you don't have any stories. Maybe you've been saved a long time, but you never pressed in. You never got your stories. You've never had those experiences. How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's your answer. So maybe you're young, a teenager. You don't got your stories yet. You're a brand new Christian. All that stuff, like I said, you can birth a move of God. It doesn't matter if you don't have the stories yet. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You just have to say yes to Jesus. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Yes. Failure doesn't matter. Um, so perhaps you've been like, I've tried it and nothing happened. I prayed for people and they never got healed. Uh, maybe you're so hardcore that you've interceded for revival for 20 years and it hasn't happened and you're like, well, you know, I tried. I tried this stuff. You know, we, I went to the prayer meetings and nothing happened. Right? So here's my biblical example to shut you up. <laughs> There's this chickie in the Bible named Hannah. And she is married to this guy who's kind of a loser because he picked, he decided to have two wives. And um, his wives were Hannah and Panina. And uh, Panina had a bunch of kids and Hannah could not give him any children. She was incapable. She was failing in this regard. No matter what she did, she was not bearing fruit, literally. But the other one was. And the other one, Panina, would mock, constantly mock Hannah. Um, and it, it really wrecked her, made her very sad. She was barren and she wanted to produce fruit. Um, Here's 1 Samuel 1.10. says she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She prayed to the Lord. Again, here we go. Everything starts with prayer. And it's okay if they're not happy prayers. 
because we feel hurt sometimes. So she prayed to the Lord, and guess what? God answered her prayer, and her son was the prophet Samuel, who grew up in the presence of the Lord and was a kingmaker. He anointed the first two kings of Israel. He, he brought about a tremendous revival of the time. So it doesn't matter if you don't have, um, I mean, if, you, if, you've, if you've done this stuff and nothing's happened, you just keep doing it. You keep pressing in because God's going to answer. And I've shared this story a lot with the youth. Um, there's that guy, Todd White. And he, it's fun to share his stories because he's so silly and happy all the time about telling these things. He was like, man, when I got saved, I believed the Bible. I believed that God was, would heal people. And so he would go out and he'd pray for everybody like three times a day in the grocery store, in the mall, wherever he is. He'd run up to people and he'd pray, oh, you got a broken arm. Let me heal. Let me pray for you and heal. And, and nothing would happen for three years. He said he prayed for a thousand people and nothing happened. But he didn't care because he said, the Lord does this. It's in the scripture. He just kept going. It's like, yeah. And his wife was getting embarrassed. Don't do it again. It's so embarrassing. And then and then all of a sudden, one day, after three years, somebody got healed. And then after that, it's like the dam broke open. And then he has, hasn't stopped to this day. He's going around all excited, praying for people and seeing them healed like constantly. Um, in fact, Jesus talks about this. And he tells the story about two very cranky people. And I think he uses cranky people to make the illustration that um, God is not cranky. So how much more will God respond in this manner? So the story is... First of all, here's the reason that he prays. It says, Luke 18, 1 says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Like, keep it up. Don't lose heart. Just keep going. And the story is about this widow who wanted justice. She would go to the judge. The judge is like, leave me alone. And then she was just so obnoxious. She, she would not give up that the cranky widow finally got through to the cranky judge. And he's like, fine. And he gave her justice. And Jesus says, like, uh, do, do I put down exactly what he says? I, yeah, and it says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When you're in the in-between, when you're waiting for the move of God, when you're waiting for the breakthrough, is he going to find faith? Is he going to find faith then? Are you, are, you, are you going to be the one pressing in? What if, he comes, what if he comes and you realize, I wasn't even pursuing this? So hold on, press in, go for it, don't stop. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord. So age doesn't matter, experience doesn't matter, failure doesn't matter. None of these can stop you from birthing a move of God. All my notes were done, and Brandy said to me, what about family history or identity? I'm like, ah, that is a hindrance, right? We look at our family history. Oh, we come from a long line of scumbags. Eh. Um, or whatever, you, I identify with this group of people. Uh, that, that is whatever. We're not, we're not qualified for this sort of thing. Um, so there's a lot of examples where God deals with this in the scripture. Uh, one example is Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite woman. Now this is Old Testament pre-Jesus dying on the cross. And you weren't supposed to, as an Israelite, go out and uh, intermarry with people that worship false gods like the Moabites. And, but somebody 
did, and it was Ruth, and then the husband, the, the, the Jewish guy, he died, and, and Ruth, so here she is, she's not an Israelite, she's not a quote-unquote person of God, um, her whole family, for as long as her family line has existed, was uh, Moabite, right? Um, and she's, she has the opportunity to go with her mother-in-law to Israel. And uh, her mother-in-law says, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She wanted to take on a new identity even though there didn't appear to be any blessings in it, except for relational blessings. Um, she could have gone back to her gods and her people and found place. She was going to a place where she would be an outsider, and perhaps the people there would be racist towards her or whatever, um, and she had nothing. And she went, she took on this new identity, and guess what came from her? Jesus. She's Jesus' grandma. That's amazing. Jesus' grandma comes from a whole line of Moabites. And if you look at the genealogy of Jesus, he's, one of his other grandmas was a prostitute. Like, you can walk into a new identity and bring forth Jesus. So your family history doesn't matter either. And then there's this other verse that's related to that. Brandy also brought this one up. Perhaps you've heard it. Um, Isaiah 11.1, 1, There shall come forth... A shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The root of Jesse. So Jesse was a guy, he was pretty average, but he became significant because his son was David who became king. So now all of a sudden, the family of Jesse is really famous. And then there's all these prophecies about the Messiah coming forth from the family of Jesse. But guess what happens to the family of Jesse? It kind of gets cut down and nothing really becomes of it. They go hundreds of years. Uh... I don't know how many hundreds of years, but they go a very long time where nothing is significant happening in the family of Jesse. And it's like, so what's the big deal about the family of Jesse now? It's been cut down. But it says a branch is going to come forth and its roots shall bear fruit. And who is that branch? We know. Jesus comes from the family of Jesse, the stump that's been cut down. Oh, I'm from a family tree. It's been cut down. It's worthless. But Jesus comes from that stump. He'll come from your family tree stump. So forget those family, those generational curses. Just give it to Jesus. Let him come out of you. Now, you might accidentally bring forth, you might accidentally burr the move of God simply by making room for the things of God. And that's the premise of this conference that's coming up. Um, and there's all sorts of ways to make room for the things of God. And the verse that uh, we use for the conference, let me, let me, well, do I want to read it? It's kind of long. I'll just tell you about it. 2 Kings 4, 18 through 17. And so there's this uh, widow. Is she a widow? She's not a widow. She's just a woman, a rich woman. And uh, Elisha, um, he comes by this way all the time. He's a prophet of God. And so she makes room for the things of God and says, come in here. Let me make room for you, prophet of God, because I trust the Lord wants to do amazing things. And she prepares a place for him. 
And you know, the point of this conference coming up is are we making room for the things that God wants to do? And she was just like, the way she made room was practical. And the Bible addresses this stuff, hospitality, kindness, generosity. She was doing these physical things that have spiritual repercussions. She was being kind and she was making room. Now, right before that is another passage about making room. And Jeremiah read it last week and it's also with Elisha, but this time it's with another woman. And she needed to make room in vials for oil. Go find all the vial, all the bottles you can and God will fill it up. Well, Dolores here, Hi, Dolores. Can you raise your hand? I don't see you. Hi, Dolores. By the way, this is Dolores. She's one of the most wise and powerful humans I've ever met in my entire life. And uh, she was sharing at home group the concept of making room, and I want to share it. She said that, uh, like Gary asked the question, what are the bottles, metaphorically, in our life that we need to make room? She's like, there's all sorts of bottles in us. There's our profession, our hobbies, our social life, our church life, um, all these different things. And what we do is we tend to sometimes give God some bottles and we keep the other bottles for ourselves. These are Dolores over here. She's going to heaven in a chariot of fire, I tell you what. And uh, um, so (laughs) this is the deal. We can make room for, we got to give them everything, our school, like our education, our worship, our entertainment. And it's uh, like, Lord, fill me up with all that you want to do. And, and, and sometimes it happens by going out and doing the practical things like blessing those in need. And this is verified by the words of Jesus, Matthew 25, 37 through 40. Jesus says, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. You guys are making room for the Lord when you are being practical in love to others. Again, shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? He's going to do it. All right. This verse that I just read, shall the Lord not bring forth, is a call to faith while we wait for the promises to come about. And faith is not taking actions that do not depend on God to bring about a promise of God. That's horrible grammar. I'll explain We can create a false move of God by knowing what the move of God is supposed to look like or having an idea in our heads. We can try to bring it about ourselves with human means, right? We can um, try to make the atmosphere better on the stage, turn on the fog machine and, and, uh, you know, get the most eloquent speakers to speak. And and you're like, oh, you go home, you feel so good because they really impassioned you. And... uh, Those are false moves of God. And the scriptural reference for that in, in this analogy that I'm making throughout this whole message is Abraham, he got the promise of the Lord. This is before the angel visited him that we just read. He got the promise of the Lord uh, that he's going to have a kid. And then, and then nothing was happening. And then they were like, Hey, his wife was like, why don't you go sleep with 
my servant, and we'll have a kid, and then, and then we'll have the promise of God. And then, that, what a horrible idea. It causes nothing but division in the family. The kid never gets the promise of the Lord that was intended for the supernatural birthing that was going to come. And uh, we do this today by trying to make things happen uh, not through prayer. That God wants to do something supernatural through us. And it's going to happen through relationship with God and trusting him. Sometimes people will, might give you a prophetic word. Don't go out and try to make it happen. That's dumb. Um, and it's going to cause nothing but trouble. Oh, Abraham went through such a headache with these bickering women in his life because of what he did. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. Um, speaking of that, these things that we do sometimes to, to, to fake a move of God, which is typically when we have the resources, we get the best band possible and we get the best speakers possible. But if church was just about eloquent speakers and good music, then I would recommend you're better off staying home and watching TED Talks on YouTube because they are far more eloquent speakers than most local pastors. Um, or put on some Stephen Furtick. He's at least a pastor. He's very eloquent. Um, or uh, listening to like Silk Sonic or some good music. That's it may be inappropriate, but it's better than these local church musicians. And it's not about the music or the speaking. It's about you connecting with Jesus. I'm sorry I'm going long. I knew it would. My notes are really long, but I think I'm winding it down here. Oh! Aha! Uh -huh. Maybe I don't have to, because the next line of my notes, it says, it takes time. <laughs> Nine months for a human, longer for Abraham. But the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And his word, on his word, I hope, my soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Plentiful redemption, woo! Birthing a move of God is not convenient. Mary was pregnant during the national census. God came to Mary and said, bam, now you got a baby growing in you, and it's the Lord, but I know it's a really bad time because the government just called for a national census, and you got to walk like loads of miles to show up to the place to be counted. But that's what I do. <laughs> I'm not convenient. So there's going to be inconvenient things that happen in your life when you pursue a move of God. Um... It's not popular. It's not popular sometimes when uh, the, uh, the birthing of the Lord or the move of God happens in your life. Um, check out this verse, Matthew 1, 18 through 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, Resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, of course, the angel slapped him around and said, don't do that. Um, but anyway, he's like, oh, man, everybody's going to think these bad things about you because here you are pregnant and we're not even married. And they, have a, they had a better, more moral culture than I think we have in America today. So today, nobody cares. But back then, it would be like the shame. Anyway, 
Guys, the church might shame you. Your friends might shame you. The unchurched might shame you. Stuff might happen where they're like, oh, look at that. It's not popular sometimes when you embrace everything that God has. When you birth a move of God, sometimes it make people like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> it's painful sometimes and requires sacrifice, especially just before the birth. But... Romans 8, 18 through 19, and also 22, says these things. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation, the reappearing, the appearing of the children of God, the sons of God, that's us. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth till now, so right now, we're all groaning as in childbirth, waiting for the move of God to be birthed and the children of God to be revealed. And when that happens, there is much celebration. That's why Jesus had joy when he was on the cross, because he knew that the pain would only last a moment and there would be joy in the morning. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross because that moment that he died, you were being born. And here's my last few points. The move of God isn't over just when it's born. It's not over when the baby is born. You may need to run to Egypt. Mary had to run to Egypt when Jesus was born because she was persecuted. People were trying to kill Jesus even as an infant. And so what I'm saying here is sometimes when a move of God comes, not so much in America right now, but definitely all over so much of the globe right now, when there's a visible move of God, you're going to get heavy persecution. People are going to be after you, potentially. And then here in America, you might have just the unpopular thing where they persecute you with words on Facebook. Who cares? <laughs> but seriously, in other countries, like I'm living for Jesus, and they want to chop your head off. So anyway, that's just a risk that happens. But it's worth it because guess what? Christians don't ever really die. Here's another thing. You may have to sacrifice the whole thing because God has to be first. So you can look to Isaac. Isaac was the promised child of Abraham. Here he is. God has all these promises of what's going to happen with Abraham. And God says, go sacrifice your child. What? Is that even something God does? And so he goes to do it. It's not something God does. But it's, he's, he's saying with Abraham in your heart, am I first or, or is the promises of God first? See, the promises of God are good but they're not as good as God himself. You need to hold on to God. And sometimes you need to sacrifice the promises that you feel he gave you, or maybe your ministry has blown up. Maybe it's doing awesome, and God says, I want you to, I want you to close down your ministry right now because I want, I want to be first in your life. So sometimes you got to give it up. You have to parent a move of God. Mary had to parent Jesus. This is really weird to think about. But she fed him and protected him and cleaned him and changed diapers, even though he was the one who was going to be saving the planet. Um, in the same way, we have to parent and move of God, meaning the work doesn't stop. The work doesn't stop when, when stuff starts happening and God starts moving in the area. We still have to keep up the prayer. We still have to be reaching out. We've got to be on our knees. We've got to be pursuing him. We don't stop the work just because God is now visibly at work. No, we keep it up. Keep up the work of love. One of my last points here, definitely, is 
um, about Jochebed, who is Moses' mom. And this point is, sometimes you have to entrust it, the move of God, to others. See, what happens is we sometimes, we get in little church bubbles, like um, everything needs to happen inside of my congregation or inside of my denomination. Well, what if revival breaks out at some other church, some other denomination? That's got to be cool with you and not just cool. You got to celebrate it. You got to celebrate with them, rejoice. And this is what we're praying for. Revival breaks out at Calvary Chapel. I'm going to flip and lose my mind. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. Calvary breaks out at Praise Cathedral down the road, my friend's church. I hope so. I don't even care if it's there or not here. We got to be like Jochebed, Moses' mom, who had to put Moses in the basket, put him in the river where God was able to work circumstances out to take an entire nation out of slavery because she entrusted her child to somebody else, to Pharaoh's daughter. She entrusted the Lord with doing something. Sometimes that's what happens in a move of God, and it's okay, and it's beautiful. Like I said, Jochebed, in that little act of saying, Lord, I trust you with my son, Jochebed brought an entire nation out of slavery. Above all, keep loving, oh, yeah, here we go, real quick. Samson is an idiot. <laughs> and the point is, the move of God may still be comprised of very imperfect people. Uh, so God promised to Samson's parents, I'm going to bring about a deliverer, and he's going to rescue my people, Israel. God didn't tell them what a moron he was going to be. He is a, the biggest Jerk of a good guy in the whole Bible. There is nothing positive about his character whatsoever. And yet, God anointed him, and he worked through him, and he rescued the nation of Israel through him. So we have to recognize sometimes that anointing doesn't equal character. And maybe I'm Samson for you. And that's where I was about to read this verse, 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers, covers over a multitude of sins. We have to be careful to do that. So in summary, age doesn't matter, experience doesn't matter, failure doesn't matter, but it does require labor in prayer and in loving service. It requires maintaining faith while you wait. It may require losing popularity. It may require learning to love the unlovable. But just like the infertile, woman miraculously having a child, it will be worth it. What joy to see people come into peace, into their destiny, into love, to see shame broken, hearts healed, addictions ended, family members transformed into totally different people. It's worth it. So, so now the ball's in your court. I just told you nothing up here matters. It's you guys, and it's me when I'm down there. It's that. It's us connecting. Let's just keep going for it.